Well, obviously, this morning being Mother's Day, this is not where I'm going to end, a meditation on the beauty of nature. Uh, because it would be hard to come up with a better gift than the gift of motherhood. And if we understand that nature is a gift from God, how much more do we understand that something so precious as a mother who is wise and godly is a gift from God? Well, before a woman is a mother, she has to be a wife. And it's very interesting. When you look at Scripture, Scripture talks about the blessings that God gives man. And we know if we go back to the account of the fall in, in the second chapter of, uh, or the third chapter of Genesis, we see there uh, an indication from God through his word that um, when we fell in Adam, when Adam fell, when Adam sinned, we lost all claim. We have absolutely no claim to any goodness from the hand of God. We remember that God said to Adam, look, the minute you sin, you shall surely die. So had Adam taken of the fruit and eaten, instantaneously, had he died under God's judgment, this would only have been what God said would happen. But this amazing thing is that he continued to live. He, he did become subject to death, so God kept his promise, but not in as intense and judgmental a way as God could have. He continued to live, and he continued to have many good gifts. We know that God gave him a wife, but we see that God continued to allow him to exist, and that since Adam, God has continued to allow us to exist. And there are many, many things that we receive from the hand of God that we probably don't think of as coming from God. M many years ago, I read a poem by a dear friend of ours named Doris Allen. And Doris and Jean, when we lived in Boulder and worked at First Pres there for a year, used to take us on the weekends or sometimes on Monday. They'd take us up into the mountains, and they were great naturalists, and they would show us all of the flowers, and they'd name them. They'd name the birds. They'd take us up to the limber pines and describe to us how the uh, high-altitude winds would, would drive these trees to their formations. Well, Doris Allen wrote a poem once, and the center of the poem was giving thanks to God for the constancy of the seasons. And in that poem, she quoted a little verse which has always symbolized to me how many things in life I receive without thinking that that too is a blessing from God. In Genesis 8.22, it says this. It says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, how many times have you given thanks to God for the fact that the seasons aren't going to stop? I don't even, I never thought about it. I never remember reading that verse until I read it in the poem. But you think about the fact that we just depend upon the constancy of the seasons. Sometimes it's true. Up north, uh, <laughs> summer, fall, and spring can morph into winter. And sometimes in the south, it seems like even winter is, is hot. But nevertheless, the seasons continue and you have... The, the, you know, the animals and the, and the plants go into dormancy. Well, this is a gift from God. What else is a gift from God? Well, we don't think about it, but do you realize that the sun shining and the rain falling are gifts from God? Again, we take this for granted. We don't think of it as being a gift from God and a blessing. Now, when the rain stops, we then go to God for the blessing, but when the rain comes, we look at it often as an inconvenience, and we don't stop to thank God that it's replenishing the earth. And it's very interesting that the Bible tells us that specifically the sun and the rain 
are gifts that God gives without reference to the character of the human being that receives them. Let me read to you Matthew 5, verse 45 from our Lord's lips. He says about his father, God, he says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, why am I going on about nature and God's gifts to us? Well, because I want you to understand that a tremendous amount of the good that we experience in this life is good that comes on, on everybody. It's what in the Bible is called common grace. Common because it's, it's, it's not held for royalty or aristocrats or the upper class. Uh, it's not for Americans, but not for Mexicans. It's for everybody around the earth. This is what we call common grace, good gifts from God that go to everybody without regard to their spiritual condition. The rain, the sun, common grace. Every once in a while, though, the Bible speaks of what I'm going to call special grace. And this is something that God doesn't just allow to happen out of his general good nature or kindness or benevolence. But this is something that God specifically singles out an individual and gives them. And now you know where I'm headed. Look at Proverbs 19.14, our text for the morning. And there you'll see house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers. In other words, if you will, common grace. But what? A prudent wife is from the Lord. And this is God's word, and it is eternally true. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this text, we pray that we will understand the unbelievable blessing of a prudent wife and that we will desire it for ourselves and our children and our children's children, that we will be good stewards of this gift and that we will love you for giving it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the sun and the rain are God's common grace, but a prudent wife is his special grace. And when you've been given the gift of a prudent wife, you've been given a gift that God specifically singled you out to receive. And there is nothing in this life, in sort of the external human circumstances that we have, that has more of an impact on the contentment and happiness of a man than the wife that God gives him. If you'll talk to your parents about the classmates that they met with at their 25th class reunion, if you'll talk to a pastor, an elder, a deacon, or one of the older women of this church or any other church, if you'll talk to family counselors or social workers, law enforcement officers, bailiffs who work in family court, lawyers who specialize in family dissolution cases, if you talk to anybody involved in working with people and the circumstances we find ourselves in in life, every single one of this group, all of them, will tell us of the suffering and the sorrow of marrying badly and the blessing and joy of marrying well. And if you look in Scripture, you'll see that this theme is frequent. If I were to ask you who married poorly and what were the consequences, I don't know what names come to your mind, but 
probably because we've talked about her recently, one of the names that would immediately come to mind is, uh, well, it depends on which side you look at it, um, but Nabal and his wife Abigail. Um, to Nabal, Abigail was a tremendous blessing. She was a godly, wise, and diplomatic woman. Uh, to Abigail, Nabal was a curse. And if your wife ever calls you a Nabal, that's not a compliment. You should read the story. <laughs> you don't want to be called a Nabal. Another one that I think would have to come to our mind in Scripture showing the terrible destruction that an evil wife can cause is that woman Jezebel. She probably stands at the very top of the, the, uh, the pyramid of spouses who are a terrible curse on their husband or wife. Another one that would have to stand in uh, the column of not blessings but curses would be Job's wife. I mean, we don't know much about her. Um, but we do know at the Kairos, the critical moment of Job's life, when everything had happened that was, that was bad to him, that his wife didn't provide him good counsel, did she? Uh, in Job 2.9, it says that she said to him at this supreme moment of torment, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. When I read this, I thought that would make a great title of a book on marriage. Curse God and die. I'm not sure that Dr. Dobson would interview me on the radio program. <laughs> the Bible often speaks in the wisdom literature, and especially in the book of Proverbs, of the consequences of uh, being married to people of different ca ca character. And Proverbs 12:4 it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. In Proverbs 14.1, it says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Proverbs 25.24, It's better to live in the corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, as I read and speak this morning, um, we should understand that I'm, as Scripture always does, it speaks using the male terms to refer to a group of mixed sex. So, when we read Proverbs 12:4, if it's true that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones, how much more do we understand that an excellent husband is the crown of his wife, and that he who shames her is like rottenness to her bones? And so what I'm going to be saying this morning, almost all of it applies very well to uh, wives seeking husbands as well as husbands seeking wives. But again, to return to our theme, if a man is married, his fate in life is tied to the character of his wife for good or for evil. A prudent wife is from the Lord. And this is a very happy declaration. It's an encouraging word. There are all kinds of things that we get passed down to us by our parents. Things as small and trivial as old jigsaw puzzles or as large and precious as uh, what I'm going to get, which is a 1700s uh, grandfather clock, 
Uh, Some of you received a handmade quilt from a great-grandmother. Some of you received a family farm or some business. And so whether it's little things or large things, there are many things that we receive naturally by inheritance from our blood relatives, our, our ancestors. And we do treasure them. I, I think today, I, you all know that I carry and use a little pen, fountain pen. It's called a Lamy Safari. And the reason I carry this pen is when my dad died, he had for many years been using these pens. And I still have the one that he had when he died. And if you look at my belt, this belt. Oh, I don't have a belt on today. <laughs> well, anyhow, the belt I wear is not the belt that my father died with, but it's the belt that is identical to the one. I wore that one for eight years, and then finally the the stitching started coming out, and so I sent it back to the manufacturer and asked them to restitch it, and they said, Sir, your belt has given you good service, and it's time to put it to death. (laughs) So I got the exact same belt, and my watch is the exact same watch that my dad had when he died. I've worn out the one he wore, and now I have another one. You might think I have a fetish with my father, and I probably do. And that's probably absolutely normal for men. Um, Many of you have been given gifts from your father or your mother, and you treasure those gifts. But no matter how precious these little reminders are to us, maybe it's a, a teapot, or a uh, tablecloth that you got from your mother, or a dress, or her ring. Uh, This is nothing. This is absolutely nothing compared to the gift that you don't get from your mother or your father, but the gift that you get directly from God, which is a prudent wife. And when we look at Scripture, we see the hand of God in this in a number of places. The most obvious one is the gift of Eve to Adam, where when he received her from the hand of God, he let out that, uh, that tremendous please statement, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he loved her, and he named her... Uh, uh, Isha, for she was taken from Eve. He named her Eve, the the giver of life. Another one that is uh, quite extraordinary in the way God provides her to her husband is, again, this woman Abigail. If you think of what God did in the life of Abigail in order to provide her to David, it's quite extraordinary. Um, First of all, God protected David through her coming out with the supply train of food for his men when he was about ready to come and to uh, lay waste to Nabal and his entire household. And then later, God killed her husband so that David could have her. Who else in Scripture? Well, another wonderful illustration of God's provision of a prudent wife for a man is the story of Ruth and Boaz. Now, if you think of what had to happen for Ruth to become Boaz's wife, think about it. First of all, you had to take some Israelites out of Israel and send them off to Moab. And then you had to get them to marry somebody who didn't belong to the Jews. You know, Naomi's son had to marry a Moabitess woman. Uh, He couldn't marry within his own nation. 
And then when he died, Ruth had to make the decision that she was going to be committed to this mother-in-law and not only be committed to her, but she was going to go back with her to her native land. All right? Think about this. He had to leave his country. He had to marry somebody from Moab. Then he had to die, and then she had to decide that she was going to return to the native land of her mother-in-law. Then when they got into the native land, she had to be brought under the wings of Boaz. And how did that happen? That happened through gleaning. And then her closest relative had to decline to take her as his wife. And Boaz had to find delight in her. And so it's a beautiful description of God's working in all the circumstances of our life. And to those of you who suffer in various ways in your life, please remember that what would have been to her a terrible catastrophe, namely the death of her husband, and then having to pull herself away from her family and return to a land she'd never lived in, this was God giving her blessings and giving Boaz blessings through her. And lest we think that this was all just about Ruth and Boaz, let us remember that Boaz and Ruth had a son together, and that son was named Obed. And let us remember that Obed was David's grandfather. So King David came from this union. He was the direct progeny of this union of Boaz and Ruth. And so we see scripture filled with examples like this and we see how mysterious are the ways of our Redeemer who works everything according to his good pleasure and who provides prudent wives to those that he chooses to bless in this special way. A prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, if we see that there are many gifts like the sun and the rain that come indiscriminately to everyone, the wicked and the righteous, and that there are some special gifts which God intentionally singles out individuals to pour them those gifts out on, namely a prudent wife. If we see that a prudent wife is a direct gift of God, a special grace, then the question is, what application does this have to our lives? And I want to give us three applications. First, if a prudent wife is a direct gift of God, we must ask him for this gift, both for ourselves and for our children and grandchildren. Second, if a prudent wife is a direct gift of God, we must treasure that gift. And third, if a prudent wife is a direct gift of God, we must remember to love the giver more than the gift and to give him thanks for the treasure that he has given us. First, then, if a prudent wife is a direct gift of God, we must ask him for this gift both for ourselves and for our children and grandchildren. Now, when we see in Scripture that this blessing comes from God supernaturally and not from any human method or wisdom, we must turn to the giver and ask him for this blessing. Now, the best example of this in Scripture is the example of Abraham seeking a wife for his son. All right? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 24, please. In Genesis 24, we see the account of one man who, not in behalf of himself, but in the behalf of his son, goes to God asking for a prudent wife. And this involves both a negative decision on his part and a positive decision on his part. It says, Now Abraham was old, 
advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall, what, negatively, not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live, but what, positively, you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Then skip down to verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. In other words, Abraham is very conscious of God's provision. He's seeking God's provision for his spouse, for his son. Then skip down to verse 12. By this time, the journey has been completed. The servant is in the land that Abram sent him to. And it says that when it came time for him to do his work of selecting a woman, he prayed. It says, verse 12, he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. So this is the prayer and it says what? Before he finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then we have the account of her doing precisely as he had asked the Lord in prayer. Then later, Abraham is speaking to her family, and he explains that this is the woman that God has for his master's son. And in that explanation, if you'll skip down to verse 45, this is how he explains how he knows that this is the woman for his master's son. He says, before I had finished, when he's explaining to her family, before I had finished speaking in my heart, in other words, praying to God, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will water your camels also. And so I drank, and she watered the camels also. And then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And then what? Look at this verse, verse 48. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abram, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. No question. Prayer. God answers, and he praises God for his answer. And this is the woman, the provision of a prudent wife. And all through the Jewish faith, the, the marriage that is pointed to is the supreme marriage of contentment and joy, is the marriage of th these two, Isaac and Rebekah. In fact, at the end of this chapter, verse 67, we have one of the most beautiful statements about marriage, I believe, in all of Scripture where we read, Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. 
So it is God who provides a prudent wife for any man. And we must ask ourselves, if it is God who provides, what technique would we then be willing to depend upon to get a good wife for ourselves or our sons or a good husband for our daughters? Well, there are some techniques which we're required to do. And one of those techniques is that the Bible is very clear in saying that we must avoid certain things if we seek a wife from God. One of those is that we must avoid marrying outside of the faith. You don't have this beautiful story without Abraham saying, make sure you do not take a wife from my son from the Canaanite women. And how common it is in the church to see men and women who come to the conclusion that either it doesn't matter whether or not at this most basic level of existence, namely faith in Jesus Christ, that they share that with the person that they will be united to for the rest of their life, or they stop believing that God can give them a husband or a wife uh, without them resorting to an act of desperation, namely uh, taking somebody who's... uh, not really a believer, and either getting them to say they are in front of the pastor so the pastor will marry them, uh, or saying it doesn't really matter and they go ahead and marry and are unequally yoked. There are some things that must have been in order for this prayer to be prayed, and one of them was that he was determined that his son would not marry outside of the faith. And we have to place ourselves in a position uh, sometimes of obedience Uh, in matters like this, if we expect God to in turn pour his blessings out on us. God does not promise that his blessings are completely uh, unrelated to our obedience. There are many blessings that come to us solely through obedience. I shouldn't say solely through. I should say there are many blessings that come to us uh, of necessity through obedience, although the source of them is God. God is pleased to use human means. He doesn't just snap his finger and and make things to be done. Well, despite the fact that Abraham had to make a decision not to allow his son to marry a Canaanite woman, we still see that the provision of Rebekah for Isaac was a provision that did directly come from the hand of God. Everybody involved saw it. Abraham saw that it would be so, saying that the angels would go ahead of the servant. The servant saw that it would be so. In asking God, the family of Rebekah saw that it was so when the servant reported what had happened. Rebekah would have seen that it was so from, from the first time that she met this servant. She would have known it was so when she rode back on the camel and then saw this young man out in the field. She would have known it was so and signaled her willingness to be a part of this God-ordained marriage when she lowered the veil and adopted an attitude of submission towards her future husband. And then God made it so when he made the two one in the the tent, intimacy, creating a, a climate of comfort in the death of Isaac's mother. So do you pray for your son and your daughter? for a godly spouse? Is this a regular part of your prayers? Do you know that only God can give this to you? Or do you think that uh, you can find a matchmaker? You yourself can be a matchmaker. Um, Mary Lee and I have been very pleased with the choice of our children, of, of their spouses. But I'll tell you one thing. Recently, uh, Heidi, Joseph, is now engaged to a young woman. 
and they plan to marry, Lord willing, this December. And uh, Heidi told me that a number of years ago when we were back visiting in our, at our old church in Wisconsin that I had seen the two of them together and I had said, you know, the two of you ought to get married. And everybody laughed at that because now they're going to do it. Uh, that did not convince me that I was the source of this gift of a prudent woman to my son at all. I just thought, well, that's like God to have us all laugh at my idiocy knowing that he's the one that provided And when you look at your children, if you think you can somehow manufacture a good husband or wife for them, you're absolutely wrong. Um, You can't do this. You can't provide a good husband or wife for your children. Only God can do this. And so we turn to God and ask for his provision. Um, This is an absolute necessity. Mary Lee grew up with her father praying for Uh, the spouses of all of his children. Her brother Peter says he can remember when he was four years old hearing his father pray that he would have a godly wife. So pray. And those of you who are yourselves believers and still single and seeking to be married, do you pray that God will give you a prudent wife, a godly husband? Those of you who are grandparents, do you pray for this for your grandchildren? It's very important that we pray. James 4 verse 2b says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Psalm 37 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And there are two ways this can be true. It can be true that you have the right desire and he will give you it, but it also can be true that where you don't have the right desire, he will give that to you also. And so uh, some of you maybe have been raised in homes where the marriage has not been a thing of joy or you've had experiences that have caused you to not desire to be married. Unless God has called you to singleness and this is something that is clear to you, I encourage you to ask the Lord to give you the proper desires of your heart. That's one of the ways that God uh, fulfills this promise. He will give you the desires of your heart, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. And it is good uh, that a man and a woman are united in marriage because God loves to raise up and to propagate a godly seed through Christian couples who are married. A prudent wife, if she is a direct gift of God... It is God to whom we must ask for this gift. It is God to whom we must turn for this gift, for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren. Second, if a prudent wife is a direct gift of God, we must treasure that gift. Now, I have heard said by more than one woman in this church, older woman, that that you find it almost intolerable to have Proverbs 31 read out loud on Mother's Day. I've heard this so often that I I cringe every time we put Proverbs 31 in um, because it's like, you know, who's that good? And now I I made a joke to somebody saying we can just put it in every year so that we can point to Rita and, and say that Mrs. Cuffey, who recently died, she was a Proverbs 31 woman. So we've all known that there can be one of them. Well, you know, the truth is no wife is Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is just 
cherry picking. It's taking all the things that are good and putting them together as if, you know, now this would be a perfect way. And you imagine if there were a chapter that did it about husbands. Every husband would like dive, you know, under the pews when it was read. Um, you know, who loves his wife as Christ loved the church? Grant. Wayne Huck, right? I won't keep naming names, but um, no one does. And, and yet, let us acknowledge that there are many good gifts we receive from our wives. Let us acknowledge that some of our wives are unbelievable providers, that even as they care for their family, they also have means of bringing in extra income. You know, they buy and sell property, it says in Proverbs 31. Let's acknowledge that uh, many wives are unbelievably good instructors of their children. Let us acknowledge that when we have run out of patience with a crying child, it seems not even to phase them. Not all women, but many. Let's acknowledge that when... We have absolutely no patience to sit and listen to one more minute of the conversation of our teenage child who expresses everything that comes to mind, who has not one unexpressed thought on his or her brain, that our wives continue to sit there and listen and act interested. And by my watching the face of my wife, I would have to say that she doesn't just act, she really is interested. Let's acknowledge that many of us have been given wives who don't mind playing masterpiece for the thousandth time. Who don't mind reading Pat the Bunny for the millionth time. Unbelievable patience of mothers and wives. Let's acknowledge that many of us have wives who know our sins and rebuke us for them. Now, what kind of a monster would a man be who opposed the very good traits that God has put in his home through his marriage? And yet, let us also acknowledge that there are many men who, instead of rejoicing in the good gift that God has given them through their wives, they resent it. They feel uh, insecure, and so they try to squelch this good gift. And here's my point. If we pray and ask God to give us a prudent wife, and God does it, and her, her being prudent and virtuous and wise ends up at times rebuking us, at times showing our sin, at times making us feel like we are incompetent and that we are the most impatient person in the world. If having a prudent wife causes us to not be able to spend money the way we want to or to actually think ahead of time before we go into a business partnership, or move? What kind of a cretin, a monster, would then turn around and make life miserable for this woman and for her children, and by doing so, show complete disdain for the benevolence of God, for the blessing of God? And yet, let's admit that the church is filled with men who, instead of treasuring this gift that God has given them, punish her for the very godliness that God has given to him through her. Otherwise, why would we have a scripture that says what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7? You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And what? Show her honor 
as a fellow heir of the grace of life. What? So that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, many of us have our prayers hindered because we do not live a life of gratitude for the direct gift of God to us of a prudent wife. You have because you ask not. You have because you ask and you treat your wife in an unkind way. St. Augustine honored his mother. He said, I will not omit a word that my mind can bring to birth concerning your servant, my mother. In the flesh, she brought me to birth in this world. In her heart, she brought me to birth in your eternal light. And this is the testimony of so many men through the ages. They see through their mother, through their wives, the gift of God, and they rise up and they praise both the woman, the mother, the wife, but also the God who gave this woman to them. We ought to ask God for a prudent wife. We ought to be good stewards of a prudent wife. And then finally, we ought to recognize the one who gave us a prudent wife. And we ought to love him more than we love the gift that he gave us. We ought to thank him for his blessings. It would be very, very wrong and sinful of us if we would end up being like the ten lepers who, having been healed by Jesus, forgot to thank him for this gift. Let's remember that it is God who gave us a prudent wife and let us give him thanks and love him for his kindness to us. What is the greatest sign of God's love and blessing in your life? Well, um, you know, I have had a lot of blessings. I have been given and still have a godly mother who has a good sense of humor, um, who's a joy, but who disciplined and instructed me. A wonderful father. I would, I would be hard put to choose between my parents and my in-laws. A wonderful gift of godliness on the part of my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. I've been given wonderful children, but uh, Mary Lee is a gift far beyond all of them. And, um, you know, I think as I write a sermon like this, how I spend much of my year counseling people who either themselves uh, can't imagine being married, have no desire to be married and to have children because of wounds in their background, people who are married to someone they despise, people who are married to someone who despises them, people who have committed adultery, people who have deserted and abandoned their children, people who have been children growing up in a home where they have been deserted and abandoned. And so it's very easy for a pastor and elders and older women in a church to never ever speak of God's blessings and to never stop and say, praise God for his loving kindness and tender mercies. But it would be a very twisted thing if we allowed the sin of this world to have victory in that way. And so I want to end by saying that um, 
God still does give good gifts to those who ask them. And principal among those gifts is the gift of a prudent wife. And you, who have grown up and seen such pain and hardship, and maybe yourself have experienced great suffering because of the absence of such blessings, it would be wrong for you to then take that absence as the norm and begin to live a twisted life and have no request of God that God would heal you and that God would give you a prudent and a virtuous wife or husband. And so I encourage all of you, and you think I'm speaking directly to you, and I'm not. I tell you so often, if you could see this congregation into the secrets of the homes and marriages and families, you'd realize that there's no way I'm speaking to you directly. I'm speaking to every single one of you who has this morning a bittersweet sense of the absence in your life of these blessings or in the life of your children. And I just command you in the name of God, the God who is there, that you go to God and that you, that you plead with him to give you these gifts. Plead with him to give you a good wife. Plead with him to keep you from giving in to the sentimental romanticism which corrupts the choice of a spouse so often and which corrupted my choice, but God worked anyhow. (laughs) You know, plead with him to be merciful to your children. Plead with him to give you back the love and affection and trust in your marriage that has been lacking for the last 10 years. Plead for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Don't allow Satan to have victory in the hearts of Christians. The Bible says that a prudent wife is a gift from God. Therefore, God desires to give this gift. And he says, you have not because you ask not. And so, in the the eyes of this twisted and corrupt world, let's be a church of people who all of us are examples of God's healing touch in the matter of our marriages and our families and our homes. Let's be an example of that promise, the beautiful promise that ends the Old Testament where it says what? It says that he will what? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Let us pray.